Good morning. We're going to ask the children to make their way to junior church. And uh, we need to pray for good weather next week because the children are going to give us a special. So. Oh, okay, we can still pray for snow. Good. We got Gwenny's approval. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 14 this morning. Romans chapter 14. Now accept the one who is weak in the faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regards with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stands he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And we'll stop at that point. Several years ago, we moved to Coldesac to become pastor there. We had just barely settled in when I received a letter from a church in Northern California. We have some friends in that church. We had gone there shortly after we were first married as new missionaries. They had taken on our support, had supported us for probably 16 years while we were in Canada. And, uh, There were several in the church that we kept uh, correspondence with, and uh, we got a letter from this this one couple, and they said, well, we're rejoicing that the Lord has opened up another door for you, but uh, we're a little bit sorry because we were going to ask you to consider becoming our pastor. And as I read that, I thought, what's going on there? Because they had just called a new pastor within the past year, and uh, I found out as I read the letter, they said, we had to ask our pastor to leave. And they said the reason we had to ask our pastor to leave was because during the worship time, there were times when he would raise his hands when we were singing. And he he said, we can tolerate that with visitors, but uh, that's sending the wrong message if the pastor raises his hands in worship. And as I read that, I thought, that's not a battle that I want to fight. I said, thank you, Lord, that you didn't lead me that direction, Uh, because personally, uh, that wasn't my style growing up, but I see nothing wrong with it. Uh, Matter of fact, the Psalms encourages us to lift up holy hands in in worship and and praise to the Lord. So do we really believe the scripture or or don't we? In chapter 13 or 14, 
and 15. Paul touches on some of those areas. In chapter 13, if you recall, we revealed some areas where we are called to take a stand. There are doctrinal issues that we need to take a stand on. There are areas where we have a thus saith the Lord. If we have a thus saith the Lord, it's not up for question, not up for debate. If God has spoken, we have the responsibility to obey. His principles are the same down through the centuries. He said in Exodus, thou shalt not commit murder. I think he means that today. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's an area that we need to take a stand on and, and, and live that out because there is a thus saith the Lord. The problem is there's a lot of what I call gray areas where there is no thus saith the Lord. And that's what Paul is looking at in chapter 14 and the first part of chapter 15. The problem is if there's no thus saith the Lord, if we're not careful... There's a thus saith the pastor, or a thus saith somebody in the church, and it becomes a, a battleground within the church, the order of service, the music style, the color of the carpet. Uh, I, I, I remember one individual years ago that left the church because Christmas time came around and we put up a Christmas tree in the church. Now, he had an obscure passage from one of, uh, I don't know whether it's Isaiah or Ezekiel, that uh, went against having bringing idols into the home. And so to him, it was an idol. And so because we had a Christmas tree, we couldn't be spiritual, and he left the church. And unfortunately, that couple went nowhere and kind of drifted away even from, from the Lord. Those kind of issues are not new. In Paul's day, he refers to two issues here, that where there was not a thus saith the Lord, the area of eating of meats, and we'll touch on that in just a few minutes, but it wasn't just eating meat. It was meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And, and uh, you know, if you wanted to, the cheapest meat in town, you, you bought the meat because uh, they hadn't paid for it at the temple. It, it was given as a sacrifice. They could undercut the market, and you could get some really good uh, meat that way at, at a very economical price there. The other area was the area of days, and that's one area that we still have issues with today. I don't know how many times I've come and found on the door of our church uh, a pamphlet or a letter saying, you can't be a Christian because you don't worship on Saturday. So somebody's judging us as, as far as that area is concerned. The problem comes in is sometimes it's different. But different doesn't make it wrong. Uh, it, uh, I, I think of uh, the area of foods. Now, I personally would be just extremely happy if we never had a bo bottle of mayonnaise in our refrigerator. <laughs> I, I, I can't stand this stuff. <laughs> uh, my wife takes exception to that, and that, that's okay. It's different. If she likes it, we can have it. I'm not going to condemn her for eating it, even though I can't understand why you'd want to eat it. Uh, but it doesn't make it wrong just because I don't like it there. Uh, uh, Paul was dealing with some cultural things where there was no thus saith the Lord. It wasn't whether it's right or wrong. It was a matter of personal conviction and personal practice. The, the problem comes not in the fact that we have convictions, because in some of these gray areas, we should have convictions, and we should live out those convictions. The problem comes if we make that a test of 
judging somebody's salvation, as happens when I get those letters on the door, somebody's judging my salvation because of the day I worship on, or if we make it a test of spirituality. If, if you don't do it my way, you can't be spiritual. How are, do we treat, how are we to treat others that are different from us? How are we to deal with these issues where there is, is no thus saith the Lord? Paul begins with the idea of, of the weak and the strong here. The problem comes, and, and we need to remember we're called to be living sacrifices, and so that may demand that we give up our way and allow the Spirit of God to work in our brother's life in a different way than ours. But, but the problem comes in who is weak and who is strong. We like to think of ourselves, because of our convictions, as strong. But are we? Uh, there's an indication here that the one who eats and the one who doesn't eat, they may be strong or they may be weak. Uh, which one is, was really the weak and which was the strong one there? I'll give you a modern-day illustration on that. Uh, I have a friend. He was uh, chairman of the board of the first church that we pastored in. He had been an alcoholic, came to Christ Actually, after having a, he had been drinking, he had an accident, car flipped over, they thought he was going to die, and he said, I don't want to die and go to hell, how do I, how do I become a Christian? And his brother was there, had recently accepted Christ, and, and they got a pastor, the pastor came and explained the plan of salvation, and Richard prayed to accept Christ as Savior. Next day, the pastor was back in the hospital and said, now, I just want to make sure you know what you did because you were still under the influence of alcohol. Is this really the decision you wanted to make? And it was. And he has since then walked with, with the Lord. But to this day, Richard declares that he is an alcoholic. And uh, he has nothing to do, has not touched alcohol for well, probably 40 years now. But uh, even today, he, uh, I remember sitting down on one occasion with him and discussing that issue and he said you know if i said what happens if you are driving in some of these towns in british columbia where there's a long ways in between towns and you break down and the only telephone is in the bar what would you do he said well i would have to walk to the next town he said i just can't i just can't go into that bar now now to me if that was the only phone i wouldn't have any problem going in there and using the phone i'm not tempted in that area i I, the Lord delivered me from that when I was about three years of age. I, I, was, at, <laughs> I, I was at a party, and they, they, several glasses of beer were sitting around and so forth. And being three-year-old, I thought, hey, this would be great. And I took a big swallow of it. And uh, I, in that swallow, I lost all of my desire for alcohol. <laughs> I, I have never been able to tolerate the taste of it since. So. You know, I could walk into a bar and make a phone call, and it wouldn't bother me. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, if I was traveling with Richard, I wouldn't walk into that bar. I wouldn't be a stumbling block to him. And, and so uh, is he weak or is he strong for having that conviction? I would suggest as you read this passage that the weak individual is the one who judges his brother or sister in an area where there is no thus saith the Lord. It's not an individual that has a conviction, but it's an individual that, that judges his brother or sister because their conviction is different than yours. I think it's fair to say as we look at that idea that there are probably some areas 
in which all of us are weak. Some areas in which we're strong. We, we need to examine our convictions and, and what are we doing with those convictions today? Because if God convicts us in a certain area, he may not convict our brother or sister in that area. And we need to be careful that we don't judge them wrongly in that area. So we're going to look at three principles, and it's going to take us three weeks to do that. The first one today is God calls us to accept one another. What is involved in that? What, what, what is he trying to, to teach us through these, these opening verses here? Uh, the, the first lesson I think that we learn here is do not judge one another. Uh, Danny read from Luke chapter 6, was it, verse 37? Uh, I had it in my notes, Matthew 7, 1, the very same verse, judge not that you be not judged there. Uh, that's probably one of the most quoted verses today in Scripture. You ever, when you take a stand on some issue, have somebody say, well, who are you to judge me? God says, judge not that you be not judged. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you read that passage, especially the Matthew passage there, he goes on to say just a few verses later, don't cast your pearls before swine. So there is a time for judgment. Later on in that very same chapter, he says, by their fruits, you shall know them. In Galatians 6.1, it speaks of the fact if, if a man is overtaken in a fault, we are to restore them, those who are spiritual. So there is a time to judge one another if it's an area where there is a biblical principle involved. That's not up for debate. It's not up for question. If God says this is wrong, this is wrong. And, and we have to take a stand in those areas. The problem comes in the areas where there is no, thus saith the Lord. So when we think of this area of judging one another in verses 1 through 4 here, he says, first of all, don't judge your brother's opinion there. Here, the issue was meats. Some said you should eat vegetables only, vegetarians. You know any veggies today? If you're not careful as a vegan, you can get self-righteous, can't you? you? You can judge somebody else because, hey, they're, they're not following the same diet that, that you are. And unfortunately, we live in a day and age where there is a lot of different diets out there. And we can get reach the point where we think our diet is to Scripture. It's the one that God would approve. And we even have, so far as we have the, the Daniel plan today of diets and so forth, uh, trying to make it seem like it, it's, it's scriptural there. And, and what was right for Daniel may not be right for you today. Uh, as I think of that area, I remember listening to a health guru speaking, and she made the statement, if you're one pound overweight, you can't be spiritual. That's pretty strong language, but... Uh, uh, if you're selling your product and, and wanting people to buy your product, I guess you can be strong in that area. If you're one pound overweight, you can't be spiritual. Uh, and she meant it. She, she was very sincere about that. The, the question I would have loved to have asked her was, where in the Bible do you find a height-weight table to judge who's overweight and who's not overweight? It, it's just not there. Uh, matter of fact, when it comes to what we eat and so forth, Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 16, he says, Therefore do not act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to the festival or new moon or Sabbath day, 
things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. She was judging in an area where God says, there's no thus saith the Lord. Matter of fact, she wrote off a lot of the teaching, uh, D.L. Moody and, and Spurgeon and some of those, they were overweight in her book. And so they couldn't be spiritual. Uh, I thought, what is, what is she missing? What, what truths have, have they taught down through the ages that she could be benefiting by? Uh, again, the problem was not what you ate. The problem with her was her attitude. She was regarding with contempt those that had a different opinion in that area. And, and so actually she was becoming the, the weak one there. We become a weak individual when we think my way is better, my way is more spiritual than anyone else's. And notice verse 3, we can do that both ways. We can regard with contempt the one that doesn't eat, or if we're, we can regard with contempt the one that, that does eat there. So in either camp, you can find somebody that's strong, somebody that's weak. We, we, we need to be, be careful there. And as I said, we all have our, our weak areas. I, I grew up in a day and age when, when you went to church, you dressed up. Uh, even as an as a eight- or nine-year-old, uh, I would never go to church Sunday morning without a, a suit and tie on. That, that was just the accepted dress in, in those days. And uh, I remember coming, uh, when we, we got to the mission field, I packed my suits away because we were out in an Indian village and they didn't even know what a tie was, let alone wear a suit. But when I came back to the States, I got this suit out again. Matter of fact, it was probably four years from the time we had come out on our honeymoon until we came back to the States and I found some candy in my pocket. I'd been in there for four years. I had been in a restaurant. They had brought some candy for dessert and put it in the pocket, forgot about it, and it was still there four years later. I, I, I hadn't worn that, that suit coat for, for that length of time. But I, I, I struggled with that area. I remember coming back, going to Multnomah, and we were asked to work in a church on the edge of Portland. And the first Sunday we were there, I was rather shocked when the song leader got up and he was wearing jeans. Uh, you know, from my tradition, that's just not right. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I, I had to wrestle with that, and the Lord had to wrestle with me on that as well. I had to come to the conclusion, who am I to judge? If God hasn't convicted him in that area, who am I to convict him in that area? That's not a, I can't go to Scripture and say, thus saith the Lord, you shall wear a suit to church. No, it's just not there. And so I had to, to learn to accept and realize, hey, if I'm not careful, I'll be judgmental in this area. I will become the weaker brother there. I, I like the uh, the approach the Gideons take. Uh, they always call and they, they line up an appointment for somebody to come and speak. And every time they call, whoever it is that's calling asks, how do you dress for church? And I say, well, I'm traditional in, in my that's just my personal preference there. But I said, you're welcome to come however you're comfortable. And they said, no, we will come dressed as you are. And so sometimes if they come to our church, they're going to be wearing a suit and tie. If, if they go to another church where the pastor is not traditional, they don't have to wear a suit and tie. And I always tell them, you know, that doesn't bother me. You come whichever way you're comfortable. But no, they, they, have, they have chosen to, 
to take that approach, and I and I appreciate that. In in, the, I, I think that was that's being strong there. They're they're restricting their liberty for the sake of the body that that they are ministering to there. So be careful that you don't judge your brother's opinion. Don't second here. Don't judge your brother's convictions. It is possible for God to lead you one way and your brother another. I think of my friend up in Canada, Richard. Uh, He would not go to a lot of weddings of of unbelievers because he knew that alcohol would be there. I I don't have a problem with that. Matter of fact, I had a couple come to me when I was ministering in Grangeville. Uh, They were not living in... uh, Grangeville. They were living in Elk City. Any of you have been to Elk City? Yeah, it's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's way out there. And there's there's no church out there. There's there's very not even a large building there. So they came and they said, We would like to be married. And uh, we're we're looking for a pastor that would be willing to, to perform a wedding ceremony. And I said, Well, you know, I, I require counseling and, and so forth and, and they were fine with that. The only problem is after we'd gotten into the counseling for a while, they said, you know, uh, the only place out in Elk City that's large enough for our wedding is the bar. Would you be willing to perform a ceremony in the bar? And uh, I thought, no problem. As long as there is no alcohol served in advance, I I have no problem with that. Because uh, in Idaho, and I I don't know about Washington, but if, if the bride or the groom has been drinking... You can't proceed with the wedding. Uh, They've got to be in their right mind, after all. <laughs> it, uh, uh, I, I said, as, as long as the bar is closed while we, before and while we have the ceremony, that, that's fine. And, and we did that. And, and I had an opportunity to, to share Christ with the couple. Now, what they did with that knowledge, I'm not sure, because Elk City's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And they weren't living in town, but uh, it, we need to learn to let God be God in someone else's life. In their case, they had a desire. They had been living together. They had a desire to get that relationship right in the sight of God. And I wasn't going to stand in the way and say, we can't do that because it's going to be in a bar. That they weren't convicted in that area. And, and so we, we went ahead with it there. The second area here, don't judge one another. He also calls us, and here's where it gets tough, verses 5 through 12. He calls us to live for God. He comes back to the question of days. As I mentioned, it's still a problem today. There are still those that hold to, well, if you don't worship on the seventh day, you can't be a Christian and so forth there. But notice what he is saying here. He said, follow your Convictions. Verse 4, who are you to judge another? To his own master, he stands or falls. And so the question becomes, what is God asking of you? What standards, what convictions is he asking? Not what is he asking of your brother or sister, but what is he asking of you? That's what he expects you to live out in your life without judging somebody that's different. Uh, years ago, when we were first going together, I I had a personal conviction that there would be no physical contact between Ginger and I until I put the ring on her finger. Uh, And I I figured if she's going to accept the ring, then it's going to be 
be okay. Uh, uh, we, we can hold hands and stuff then. But uh, be, be, before that, I, I was convicted. No, this is not an area. Uh, uh, I, I didn't personally date others and so forth because of, of some of those personal convictions. Now, I have not told anyone that they have to follow that, that standard. So I haven't told youth group that I, I said this is the way I did it, but you got to do what what you believe God wants you to do. And, you know, I, I'm so thankful that God led us that way because we found ourselves three months before we were married in an Indian village and, and working with several other missionaries there. And they were going through some struggles there with uh, problems with immorality and so forth. And we had to be very careful what we did so that we didn't give an offense to the Indian people or, or to give the wrong message there. And so I was so thankful that God had given us those convictions in, in advance there. But again, like I said, you may not feel the same way in that area. God may not have convicted you the same way in that area. And that's okay. That, that doesn't bother me in the least. Same way with a suit and tie. I, I don't care whether you wear a suit and tie or not, but if I come Sunday morning, I'm going to wear a suit and tie. That's the conviction that God has, has given to me there. But uh, if, if he hasn't given you that conviction, that, that's okay. We are called to live out our convictions even if nobody else does, or even if somebody, nobody else is convicted in that area. We live out our convictions to the glory of God. And then in doing that, the next thing we do is give thanks to God. Notice the end of verse six there. For he who gives thanks to God, he who eats gives thanks to God, and he who does not eat gives thanks to God. So here you have both sides of the issue. There were those that felt it was right to eat that meat. There were those that felt it was wrong to eat that meat. Both of them could give thanks to God if they were living out the convictions that, that God had given to them. Why is that true? I think it's true because God chooses what is best for us as individuals. He will lead us down the path of blessing if, if we will follow him. I, I remember years ago, we had come back from Canada. Uh, we were pretty isolated out there uh, from the music world and so forth. We got back to Canada. One of the first things our, the youth group wanted to do in the church that we were going to, the youth leader said, can we take your son to an Amy Grant concert? <laughs> And that seemed rather far out for uh, a pastor <laughs> that had been up in Canada for years. We've already had our issues with Christian rock and so forth with our son. And uh, uh, we finally let him go, but uh, with, it was with reservations. And, and I remember a couple years later, we were homeschooling our kids. And you get to, I think it's 11th grade there in English, you have to write a term paper. You have to research it. Uh, study it all out and so forth. And, and, and Brian said, I don't want to do this. I don't know what I want to write on. And I said, well, you got to do it. Uh, we talked about it. And I said, why don't you write on rock music? Now, I was just sure that if he researched that out, he would come to my conclusion. <laughs> I, I, I had that in the back of my mind. Uh, he did an excellent job on his paper, but he didn't come to dad's conclusion. As I read his paper, he said there were three things that, that he looked for. He looked, first of all, at the lyrics. Now, that's where I had a problem because I, I listened to that music and I couldn't understand the lyrics. Uh, and I guess if you listen to it often enough, you get to where you can understand the lyrics. But 
that, that was important to him. What is that song really saying? And I couldn't argue with that. He said, I also look at the lifestyle of the artist. Are they living for the Lord? If, if they're not, then I, I don't listen to their music. Again, good idea. You, you can't fault that. And then he said, the third area I look at is, is there any fruit there? Are they reaching people with their message? Can't argue with that one either. And, and so the conclusion that we finally came to is, same conclusion that uh, I think Don Francisco came to in one of his songs, he's, where he says, just because it has a beat doesn't make it wrong. As, as I thought through that, I had to realize that God was leading my son one direction in that area. He, he was leading me another direction because I just didn't enjoy that, that kind of music. And, you know, at, when it was all said and done, both of us gave thanks to the Lord. Brian gave thanks because Dad's not bothering him any longer. He can listen to the music that he enjoys. And I was giving thanks because I didn't have to listen to it. It, it, it wasn't my style, and I could just turn it off and, and have nothing to do with it. So we were both able to give thanks. And uh, I also gave thanks because I felt God was speaking to my son's heart. I had given all kinds of books against rock music to read, and he had had his books and so forth, and, and God obviously was speaking to his heart. And so I was thank, thanking the Lord for that as well. We give thanks in the midst of living out our convictions. And then the third thing, the last thing that we need to look at here in verse 8 and following is remember who is Lord. It's not you, and it's not me. We are not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord of the church, and he reminds us that someday we are each one going to stand before the throne of God. First Corinthians chapter 3 speaks of coming before the judgment seat of Christ, so does 2 Corinthians 5.10 there. We will have to answer to God for how we lived our life. He's not going to ask us, how did our brother live out his convictions? He's going to ask, did you do the things... I asked of you. Did you follow the convictions that I laid upon you? It's important to realize that he will convict us in different areas because we each have a different purpose in life. We each have a different sphere in which we minister. And what he convicts me on may not be what he convicts you on because he has a different purpose in mind for you. We have to answer to God, though for the convictions that he has brought into our own individual lives, what have we done with them? How, how have we guided our behavior? Are we living, in a sense, to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Even if our conviction isn't the same as our brother, and our brother is free to do something different than we are, are we living out that conviction, knowing that this is what God has asked us to do, and if we do it, then we're going to bring glory to his name. Are we, are we living to the glory of Jesus Christ? It was Augustine years ago that gave us these words, and this is, these words were part of the formation of the Evangelical Free Church. You will still read it in, in most of their, their, their literature. He gave us these words, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In essentials, liberty. Are there areas that are essential? Yes, there are. The foundation of, 
our, rest, our foundation rests upon the Word of God. It rests upon the, the inspiration of the Scriptures, the, the character of Jesus Christ. Those, those are areas where we will die for. Those are areas where there's no compromise. But there are many non-essential areas where there is no thus saith the Lord. That's where we need to be careful because those areas can divide a church. Those areas can uh, create all kinds of, of problems there. We have to be willing, if God hasn't given a clear thus saith the Lord, to realize that God may lead you one way, your brother a different way. And that's okay because God has a different purpose for us. In all things, though, we love one another. We demonstrate that love, even when God may lead them a different way. I, I really wish I could have shared that with that church in California, but it wasn't my battle. <laughs> and, and so I stay, stayed out of it. But, you know, I, I would have loved to have sat down with some of those and said, what difference does it make whether the pastor raises his hands or not? Does it really change anything? Uh, does it change who he is? Does it change the music program? No, it's an area where God has given us liberty. It's a good way to live. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. The challenge is, I think, for us to examine our own lives today. How have you been doing? How have you been handling the areas where there is no thus saith the Lord? I'm sure in many of those areas you have your, your personal conviction. Are you forcing that conviction on others? Or are you allowing God to lead your brother and sister, maybe in a different way, in, in, in those areas if there is no thus saith the Lord? The problem is we major on the minors. We, we take an area that is close to our heart, and, and we think everybody else should do the same thing there. Uh, again, I remember... And, and you got to remember, I've come out of a, a, a very extremely traditional background uh, uh, it, and, and very legalistic in, in many ways background. And so raising hands were, was out for us as, as young people and so forth, but uh, I, I don't feel that way anymore. But uh, I, the first church I pastored was that way. And... Uh, I, I still remember we had pastored there for several years. I went back to school and pastored elsewhere. And then probably about 10 or 12 years later, we went back for one year uh, just to help them get the, the, the Christian school back on track again. The, the, the fellow that was pastor there had grown up just the same as I had. So we saw eye to eye on a lot of those issues. But I still remember, and I, I, I shouldn't have, but I laughed when he, he came one day and he said, hey, we're going to take a group of the men to promise keepers. And uh, I thought, well, you're in for a shock. <laughs> and uh, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to discourage him from going. But, but I still remember the first Sunday after the men came back, one of the men got up. He was leading the worship service. And he said, you know, the one thing that we learned at promise keepers is it's all right for Christians to raise their hands in worship. And... Uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how this is going to go over. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, there were several people in there that came from that background, and they were just praising the Lord. They, uh, they, they raised their hand that Sunday morning. The next Sunday morning, he got up and said, I guess it isn't all right for Christians to raise their hands. We won't do that anymore. I thought, what a tragedy. 
What what, what a a tragedy. There was one lady in the church that had been praying for healing for several uh, months, and and the Lord did heal her. And uh, she got up and gave testimony to that fact. And and, uh, I still remember the pastor afterwards said to her, "If, if that's the way you're going to be, you need to find a different church. We don't do things that way here. Oh, what a tragedy. If, if there's any healing that's going to take place, it's going to be God that does the healing. They may use medical means, but ultimately that healing comes from him. Uh, they were majoring on the minors, judging people on areas where there was no thus saith the Lord. If that's the case, then you need to ask God's forgiveness for judging your brother or sister. Not only do you need to ask your brother's forgiveness, but uh, you need to, or, I mean, God's forgiveness, you need to ask your brother as well. And, and yet I say that very carefully because if God convicts you in some area, it doesn't matter whether he's convicted your brother or not. You have to live out that conviction. You have to live that out to the glory of Jesus Christ, even when others are led a different direction there. We each have a different ministry and a different purpose to fulfill. And so I think we need to learn in the areas where there is no, thus saith the Lord. We need to let God be God in our brother's life. God is the one that will bring the conviction that they need. If he wants to lead them a different way, then he has a different purpose in mind for them than he has for you. Don't judge them. Let God be God in their life. Let's pray. Father, there's so many areas that we wrestle with simply because there's no thus saith the Lord. We thank you that you haven't made us robots. We, we aren't made with a cookie cutter all alike. We have different purposes. We have different reasons for being here. We have different uh, jobs that you want us to fulfill as we walk through this community You've called us together to work together and to stand together on the principles where you have spoken in your word. But give us the wisdom to allow you to be God in our brother's life and not to play God ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn to number 92, the solid rock.